0: Alright, welcome back everyone. We are finally back with a very long overdue episode of Didactic Mind. This is Didactic Mind episode 89, The Moronica Strain. Very warm welcome as always to all my loyal SoundCloud, uh, excuse me, Podbean listeners. I keep, I keep making this mistake. It's not SoundCloud, it's Podbean. I got off of SoundCloud ages ago because, uh, well, they've basically become a bunch of, uh, left-wing ninis as usual. they bow bowed to the, uh, Black Looming Menace. Um, nonsense, and they have essentially, you know, uh, bent the knee and bowed down before the people who control BLM. And that was very foolish, of them, very stupid. But uh very warm welcome as always to my loyal readers from the site and my subscribed listeners. If you have not already subscribed, either on Podbean or on my site, please make sure you do so and make sure that you are... Uh, registered on our uh, on my email list so that you never ever miss a new upload let me just fix the widget here okay that should fix the input settings a little bit Um, bit more yep okay good so um, really I wanted to spend some time today talking about this uh, brand new variant which is out there right now Uh, as you can probably tell by the tone of my recent post, I am not at all impressed by the fear-mongering that's going on in various circles these days, because I do think that the new Omicron variant, as it's called, is wildly overblown and overstated, and uh, basically I wanted to unpack not just what the Omicron variant is, or, you know, it says a lot about the people who are freaking out about this, that... Omicron is an anagram for moronic, hence the title of this podcast. It's a, it's a riff on, um, I believe, a Robin Cook novel, um, The Andromeda Strain. And if you've read that novel, then you don't need me to tell you what it's about. Um, but the Omicron variant, or Omicron strain, appears to have originated in Africa. At least that's what initial media reports said. But subsequently, what became very clear was that the official narrative simply was not true. And that has become a very handy rule of late. Anytime the official narrative says X, you can be sure that the truth is not X. And that has become the best way to determine what is true and what is not, over the last 18 months, almost two years now, it has been basically two years since the very first um, cases of so called COVID 19 were recorded uh, in Wuhan. Now, what is becoming quite obvious and quite compellingly clear, as I said, is that the official narrative is bunk. So, when the official narrative says that this thing originated in Botswana and the Botswana health officials come out and say no hang on it, it that's nothing of the sort that's just not true it originated outside of Botswana and was brought in then you can be pretty sure that the official media line in the west at least is absolute nonsense so what does this new strain represent well From what I've seen, and I don't pretend to be an expert, I'm not a medical doctor, so... Which is, honestly, that's probably a good thing at this point, and I'll get back to that later. Um, But from what I've been able to put together of late, the moronic strain is nothing much more than a milder mutation of the existing virus. What is that existing virus? That I just don't know. I've had it, whatever it is. I have an antibody test report to prove that I've had it. But I still am not in the least bit convinced that it was a coronavirus. Here's why. If you go all the way back to the beginning of this outbreak, this pandemic, and this insanity which has cost so many of us our lives, our health, our happiness, our jobs, our careers, our businesses, and in some cases, our families, uh, and in all too many cases, uh, very very tragically, our children, one thing that we know for sure is that no one has ever isolated a purified sample of whatever bug is causing this thing. Now, if you read um, Virus Mania, which uh, has a number of authors, there's like six different authors in, in the latest edition, Uh, Dr. Torsten Torsten Engelbrechts, Dr. Sam Bailey, the lovely and charming Dr. Sam Bailey from New Zealand, and a few others uh, collaborated to create this book which essentially lays out the panic around viri and uh, viral agents causing all sorts of devastation and destruction and terrible things and calamity and so on throughout human history. Uh, In that book, towards the end of the book, The authors claim that COVID-19 symptoms could be explained by environmental factors such as poor air quality and uh, poor sanitation, which you would find in China and possibly in northern Italy, where the original virus became uh, quite a severe problem. Now, I take strong issue with that because it is very obvious that uh, the virus was spreading uh, whatever bug it was. Was spreading globally, and it was killing people, and it was harming people, uh, and it continues to do so to this day. So, and it's doing so in places with clean water and clean air. Uh, I've had it in a place where you know I live in an advanced country with good drinking water and fresh air. Um, it is simply not accurate to say that. This is purely due to environmental factors. Uh, Furthermore, in Virus Mania, towards the end of that book, the authors argue that hydroxychloroquine sulfate is in fact a very irresponsible drug to administer, or I should say those who administer hydroxychloroquine sulfate are doing so very irresponsibly because HCQ is quite toxic beyond a certain dosage. I don't argue with that. Uh, They're probably right, and if you go look up the relevant medical literature, I'm sure they're right. What I take issue with is this idea that they think it's irresponsible to prescribe such drugs when we know from repeated usage throughout the world, in the developing world, in basically shithole countries, it does work. It stops the virus in its tracks. Why? We don't really know. I mean, we have some idea, but we don't really know for sure all we know is it works so why is it irresponsible to prescribe it in the case of doctors who know their patients well understand their medical histories know the drugs and can basically say yes we think it's appropriate to prescribe this thing why is that irresponsible i I don't follow that at all um but that is the argument presented such as it is by the book you may read it and uh, i will put a link to it in the description box because I think it's worth reading. I think it raises some very serious questions about the nature of medicine today. But one point that the book makes which I do not argue with is that we have never really seen the SARS-CoV-2 virus under an electron microscope. There are images, to be clear, of a cell producing something that looks like virus particles. That that does exist. There's something like that out there. Um, But we do not know for sure whether that is a novel coronavirus. We just have an image of something producing viruses. We have never successfully purified and isolated a sample in a culture of this virus. Hasn't happened. And you can check all the medical literature out there. The doctors involved in this book did do that at the time. Subsequently, many other researchers have gone through and done it. You can look at globalresearch.ca, which is one of the best, I think, one of the best alternative uh, news sites out there about this sort of thing. Uh, They will tell you no researcher has been able to isolate this virus and genetically sequence it. So we don't know what's causing it. We do know that at the same time as COVID deaths have ramped up very rapidly, flu deaths have cratered. There there basically wasn't a flu outbreak in 2020 at all. And in 2021, it doesn't look like there's much of a flu outbreak at all either, which doesn't make sense. Influenza, we know, exists. We know it's dangerous to some people. And we know it mutates very, very quickly. Every year there's a new flu strain, at least there are several new flu strains that emerge every year. So why is it that at the same time as this novel coronavirus is spreading rapidly, flu is disappearing? One could reasonably draw the conclusion that actually COVID-19, so-called, is just another type of influenza. Uh, A mutated one, a strengthened one, which is, in and of itself, rapidly mutating and becoming less dangerous over time. And that's the other aspect of this uh, moronic strain that is uh, very telling. So far, no one has died from this new variant. Assuming, again, that we can believe one single damn thing that the WHO or anyone else is telling us about This virus. And by the way, if you're listening to me telling you these things, don't believe one damn thing I'm telling you. Go do your research. Go to globalresearch.ca. Look it up. Go to rt.com. Look it up. Go to the Daily Mail. Look it up. Go to Breitbart. Look it up. Go to CNN if you must. I mean, if you want to wade through that toxic sewer of filth and stupidity, um, Go look it up, you know. Uh, I'm not stopping you from l- doing your own research, and I indeed, indeed, I think you should. It's very foolish for people to take my word or anybody else's word at face value. By all means, examine the evidence and come to your own conclusions. I am presenting what I think has happened. I could easily be wrong, and I would be happy to admit that I am wrong. I was wrong back in March 2020 when I said, essentially, that this is a really serious uh, problem. This, this is this could be potentially a, a very scary disease. And it looks like we've got John Ringo's The Last Centurion scenario playing out. Great book, by the way, if you haven't read it. Uh, in which he talks about a killer pandemic which wipes out 66% of um, the population of anybody who you know comes into contact with it. It's like H1N1 um, bird flu which jumps to humans and then just, like, destroys the world. But, I mean, there's a lot more in that book. It's, it, it's a very, very good book. There's huge amounts of interesting information in, uh, in that book. It's well worth reading. But if you look at the moronic strain, we can see that so far, at least, it appears to be, and I want to stress, it appears to be less dangerous, by far, than the original virus. Okay, that's good. It appears to be a milder variant of whatever the original bug was. So if you get it, you get severe fatigue, you get a sore throat, you get sniffles, but you don't lose your sense of smell and you don't end up, you know, with junk clotting up your lungs. That's good. That's really good. There doesn't seem to be any There don't seem to be any long-term effects from it. That's very good. If it is from the same viral family as what created COVID-19, and if it is indeed a true variant, then it's doing exactly what dangerous viruses do. See, the thing you have to understand about a virus is that it's really just a very, very capable um, simple organism designed to survive, like all other organisms. In the face of evolutionary pressure to change and adapt, it will adapt. That's the truth. All organisms adapt to their surroundings. A virus which spreads rapidly but kills a lot of people isn't going to be able to pass on to the next wave of carriers. So viruses adapt to become less deadly. Because, by definition, if you can't reproduce, you can't survive. Your genetic code doesn't get passed down. This is obvious. This is like biology 101. And I'm not talking about the Darwinian nonsense that, you know, uh, evolution by natural selection... That is not even within a hundred miles of what I'm discussing. I'm talking about things which we have seen repeatedly, which we can replicate in a laboratory, which are obvious to our eyes. Right. This is not evolutionary um, dogma. This is fact. So, a virus is sim- is a very simple, extremely simple organism that doesn't have the ability to create new copies of itself. It's not a cell. So what it does is it infects a cell, uh, it, it latches onto a cell, it injects into that cell a, essentially a, a DNA or RNA package, tells the cell to produce lots and lots of copies of that virus, and then it bes- essentially turning the cell into a virus-producing factory. And then the cell self-destructs, and lots of copies of this virus spread out, and it continues to do the same thing throughout the host now if the host happens to die in the process that is a poorly constructed virus that won't really survive very well um there are such viruses they do exist i mean there are super lethal viruses ebola comes to mind uh mars which middle, uh middle mers i should say middle eastern respiratory syndrome and the original sars virus um severe acute respiratory syndrome they were very very dangerous viruses um now Were they as dangerous as they were hyped up to be? I'm not at all convinced of that, because SARS in China was absolutely lethal. SARS in the US was nothing much more than a very, very bad cold. So, something was off, Um, and I do believe that environmental factors play a very big role in viral lethality. That being said, the moronic variant is, apparently, less dangerous. Okay, good. It's less dangerous. Does that mean that we should be um, lax in our hygiene standards? Of course not. One of the few good things to come out of the pandemic, one of the very few, is that perhaps it forced people to be a little bit more conscious of personal hygiene, of the need to wash, of the need to clean your hands, of the need to sterilize... um, your gym equipment after you finished using it. Not, of course, that I've seen it making much of a difference because the bloody numb nuts at my gym always leave the weights strewn all over the bloody place and they never clean off the bars. I could rant about that for another 15 minutes, but I won't. At least it's forced us to be a little bit more conscientious, supposedly, about our personal hygiene. But that's the only good aspect, pretty much, of, of the whole thing. The true pandemic is not of... Um, a virus. It is of stupidity and fear, and the Moronic variant is a particularly stupid version of that original pandemic. The original COVID-19 virus was never particularly dangerous to most people. We now know, based on all of the clinical data available to us, that it has a survival rate of over 99% for most groups of people. If you have pre-existing conditions, if you're old, if you're a bit creaky, if you're incontinent, if you have problems with your joints, etc., etc., if you're fat, then you're in trouble. Okay, if you're fat, you can fix that, change your lifestyle. If you're old, well, fine, but there are supplements you can take to boost your immune system. Moreover, we know that the death tolls from this virus have been wildly exaggerated. The original death toll from Italy was you know, well north of 100,000. Then they went back, this, is, this has not been reported by the mainstream media at all, but you can find it on Global Research, you can find it on our Beloved and Dreaded, Supreme Dark Lord, Peace Be Unto Him, Voxday, The Most uh, Malevolent and Terrible, on his site, uh, voxday.net, because his blog got nixed, his blogspot blog got nixed by Google, and uh, I, for one, will be delighted to watch him take Google to court and destroy them, uh, it'll be a lot of fun. But he had an article up not too long ago where he basically pointed out that the Italian authorities, the health authorities, went back and rechecked who died from COVID and who died with COVID. And the people who died from COVID numbered less than 5,000. So the actual death toll from COVID is tiny. The real killer is COVID interacting with all the other things that could go wrong in a person. I had the original set of symptoms, classic symptoms. You know, for 10 days, I basically couldn't move. I was in tremendous pain. I was extremely tired, extremely sore. I basically could do nothing but sleep. I completely lost my taste, sense of taste. Um, I had very, very, very bad uh, cough and uh, very severe kind of joint pain and uh, yeah, it was just in a, a, a very bad state for 10 days I mean I could barely get one foot in front of the other when I went out to go for groceries and such you know um, it was very very hard and I mean not I wasn't walking far either I' just basically down to uh, down to pick them up and that's it. Um, I couldn't move properly so I had the full-blown set of symptoms I got a pretty bad attack and i recovered within a week i mean within 3 days basically i was back up to more or less normal after the first 10 days the my sense of smell started to come back on the 11th day and on the 14th day i was like hey i feel great i feel fantastic let's go you know let's, let's do something let's go to the gym let's uh, let's stay active um i bounced back very fast and i am reasonably young i'm reasonably fit um I do carry around a little bit of extra weight, but not a huge amount. So for me, it wasn't nearly as bad as it was for a lot of people. I did reasonably well uh, under the circumstances. If you have comorbidities, then you've got a problem. But you can fix a lot of those comorbidities. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the line. What we are seeing, therefore, is not a viral pandemic it's a stupidity pandemic. It's a uh, lack of thinking pandemic. And uh, Dr. Tom Cowan, I think it was, who Dr. Sam Bailey interviewed, said exactly that. It's a, it's a pandemic of lack of thinking, lack of thought, lack of reason. And I agree with that. It's a very, very dangerous place to be when you stop thinking. And that's what most people have done, including members of my own family, by the way. If you actually think through what this moronic strain means, and you stop and pause for a moment, you realize that actually it's not dangerous. It is only dangerous if you've been vaccinated, apparently. Apparently, this new strain, and again, the data, the jury is still out on this, but apparently, it's only really dangerous if you've not been vaccinated, if you have been vaccinated, I should say. And even then, you still get quite mild symptoms. Many, if not most, of the people who got the bug, the new version of the bug, this moronic strain, were fully vaccinated, which means that the virus has evolved to escape existing vaccines, which is not surprising at all. This is what viruses do. This is how they work. They adapt, they change, they mutate. The existing virus vaccines, the existing coof vaccines, do one of two things. Um, either they, either in the case of the mRNA shots, they make your body produce lots of these spike proteins, or they trigger an immune response using a viral vector, an adenovirus. Uh, I've gone over this before on my site, and I'm not going to explicate it too much, other than to say that... We now know that the mRNA vaccines are the most dangerous vaccines ever invented. That's not hyperbolic. That is data directly from the Vaccine Adverse Events Recording System, or whatever the reporting system in the US, and um, the European uh, European equivalent, whatever it's called, UDRA, I think it is. Uh, the UK also has a similar thing. They're all reporting the exact same thing. The mRNA vaccines are incredibly dangerous. Much more so than any other vaccine that's ever been rolled out. The H1, uh, did I say H1N1 before? I meant H5N1. H5N1 is um, bird flu. H1N1 is swine flu, I think. And there was an H1N1 vaccine uh, in the wake of a great swine flu panic in uh, sort of 2009. That that time period. 53 people died after taking that vaccine. Immediately, the CDC and the FDA and the WHO suspended trials and said, no, we're not, we're not going through this. So why is it that when you have thousands of deaths, not dozens, not tens, thousands of deaths globally associated with the vaccine, why is it that suddenly it's not okay To talk about that? Why is it suddenly you can't talk about the fact that these vaccines are associated with all of these deaths? I'm not even saying they're responsible for those deaths. They are associated with those deaths. How is it that we're not allowed to talk about that anymore? Why? That's ridiculous. That's a stupid standard. It's because we've stopped ourselves from thinking. We've stopped ourselves from trying to understand cause and effect we've stopped ourselves from trying to examine the world as it is, rather than the way we think it should be. Why? Why is that okay? It's not okay, it's never okay. Moreover, if the vaccines work as advertised to protect you from coronavirus in general, they should be able to protect you from new strains, but they don't. And that has been true of influenza vaccines as well, by the way. If you look at the CDC's own clinical data, and I'm not making this up, you just go to the CDC's website and you look up the quoted effectiveness of the influenza vaccines from the last 10 years and you do a simple mathematical average of all the 10 years of data, what you're gonna realize is that the average effectiveness across all 10 years is less than 40%. You have a two in five chance of not getting the disease, of not catching influenza, which is, to put it another way, you have a three in five chance of getting, a 60% chance of getting influenza, even when you have had the flu vaccine, on average. There is only one, I believe, one year in that data set where the effectiveness of the vaccine was over 60%. One year, and most of the other years, is below 50%, and in most years, it's below 40%. That is shocking, but that's the reality of vaccination. Now let's be clear about something, and I've said this repeatedly and I'm going to say it again, I am not anti-vaccine. I do not have a problem with the idea of getting shots for rabies, or typhus, or whatever other disease you want to name, uh, measles, mumps, rubella, various other diseases where we have reasonably effective vaccines. We know that these vaccines work. We know that they exist. We know that they are useful. We know that they work. So I'm not worried about that part, right? I I know that these vaccines are uh, effective at doing what they're supposed to do. That's what the clinical data tell us. But when you come to something like COVID-19, what we have is a vaccine that doesn't work. We now know that. So what are we supposed to do in response? Are we supposed to simply sit back and say, oh, okay, well, you know, uh, we're just going to force this ineffective shot on people anyway? Are we supposed to just sit back and say, well, it doesn't work, but we're going to make people take it anyway? just so that they can survive, just so that they can have a decent life. That's ridiculous. But that's the position we've put ourselves in. Furthermore, can we say with any degree of confidence that our existing diagnostic tests can catch whatever this virus is? No. If you actually look at the details of RT-PCR testing, and I've gone over this a few times, uh, in various other places and on my site, RT-PCR testing is not a diagnostic tool it is a research tool it is a molecular genetic uh, a molecular biological tool invented for the purpose of turning a little information into a lot of information but if you actually look at the amount of information used to create the rt pcr protocols in the korman drosten paper which by the way had a massive conflicts of interest it should have been withdrawn from the Euro surveillance when it was published but it never was what you realize very quickly is that Number one, the RT-PCR protocol only calibrates against a very tiny percentage, like less than 1%, a lot less than 1% of a virus's full genome sequence. And number two, it spits out a very high rate of false positives, depending on the cycle threshold. And it's a very sensitive test. Basically, if the cycle threshold is below 30, then pretty much everybody tests negative, because there's not enough information to draw a conclusion. If the cycle threshold is above 35, then everybody tests positive because there's too much information to avoid that conclusion. So you've got a very tiny little window of cycles that you can use to generate the material that you're looking for. 30 to 35, that's your window. Do all RT-PCR protocols follow this window? No, they don't. And we know that. We know they don't follow that, that threshold at all. So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to get past this reality that uh, we simply don't have the information available? Uh, We simply don't have the necessary tools and the necessary data available to do what we're supposed to do. We're operating blind here. And yet we're being told repeatedly by global health authorities that we need to take drastic measures to stop something that, number one, isn't very dangerous. We know that now. Number two, can't really be detected by our existing tests. Number three, isn't uh, easy to protect against using vaccination methods, which we know now. I mean, the, the moronic strain has proven that very clearly. And number four, seems suspiciously like it's A version of the flu, which we haven't been told yet. We haven't been... Nobody's talking about that. So what are we supposed to say in response to this? Oh, okay, well, that's fine then. We'll just obey whatever our health authorities tell us. That's ridiculous. Of course people should be suspicious. Of course people should react. Of course people should push back. And to their great credit, people are pushing back, and that's good. I'm delighted to see massive protests breaking out in Europe right now where people are trying to reclaim their freedoms. I'm absolutely thrilled to see hundreds of people in the United Kingdom rallying against reimposition of mask mandates and reimposition of social distancing measures and all the other bullshit that the useless, feckless, hopeless, stupid government of Boris Johnson Boris the floppy haired sheepadoodle as I call them. Uh, keeps trying to push. I mean, I, I, I thought I had seen government incompetence in the form of Barack Obama, the, you know, or dumbass the light worker. I thought I had seen it in the form of uh, the fake president. Boris Johnson's government is incompetent on a whole different level. Now, normally government incompetence would be a good thing because it means the government doesn't get in the way of ordinary people. This is incompetence and stupidity combined with venality, combined with avarice, combined with uh, a genuine sort of disdain for the ordinary man. That's scary. It's a direct violation of Hanlon's razor. You know, never attribute to uh, malice what can be adequately explained by stupidity. Um, It is possible, contra Hanlon, for something, for a policy to be both evil and stupid at the same time, this would explain the entire Democratic Party. This would also explain pretty much all of Labour, all of the Liberal Democrats, and pretty much everything about mainstream Central, uh, Western European politics. Central Europe seems to have its head screwed on reasonably tight. And, uh, the Russians, of course, they have a pretty good idea of what they're doing. What, then, are we to make of this suspension of disbelief and this suspension of reason? And how are we to get past it? Well, I don't have very good answers for that. I don't know how easily we can reclaim things other than simply to refuse and push back and do everything possible to defy these idiotic laws. Which and they are idiotic. They're profoundly stupid. I mean, in Austria, they locked down the unvaccinated. You know, like seriously, why didn't they just put a yellow star on on people who didn't have vaccines, who weren't vaccinated? Why didn't they just put a yellow star on the arms of the people who didn't have uh, vaccines in on the jab sites, right? Like, you might as well do that at that point. That didn't work. Three days later, they announced they're going to lock down the whole country. Then they announce that they're going to make vaccines mandatory for the entire population by February 1st next year. Then their second chancellor in two months steps down. What is going on? Something very strange is happening there. Then Germany, under, you know, um, Reichskanzler Merkel. uh, I know that's wrong. I know that's uh, uh, inflammatory toward Germany. All too bad. Too bloody bad. Um, Frau Merkel... uh, decides that she's going to follow the lead of the Austrians. Now, if you're very historically unaware, maybe that makes sense. But when was the last time that following the lead of an Austrian was a good idea for the Germans? That's a really dumb thing to do. It's a really, really stupid thing to do. I mean, why would you do that if you understand anything about history? The last time the Germans followed the Austrians' lead, it didn't end very well. So, you know, you do have to question whether the Germans have their heads screwed on right, and that's not normal to say about Germans, by the way. Germans, you know, there's that old joke that James May made. It wasn't a joke; it was actually a story he was telling. It was on um, the Grand Tour, I think it was season two, and he was talking about how Germans have this very rules-based mindset. Where yeah, he's, he was talking with a German friend, and a Californian friend, and a Californian um asked about what it would be like to drive in Germany with a suspended license. And the German said, no, you cannot do this. And uh, the Californian was like, yeah, but man, you know, what if it's late at night and you just, you feel like going out for a drive down the highway and you want to take the, the the convertible out and uh, have a beautiful drive down the uh, Pacific Coastal Highway, you know. And the German was absolutely shocked. He's like, no, you cannot do this. You have a suspended license. That's the German mindset. And that's what they're doing to their own people by locking people down, forcing people to get vaccines. Again, what I'm amazed that nobody in Germany has drawn this conclusion and so, said, you know what, again, you might as well just slap yellow stars on people uh, to denote who is vaccinated and who is not. That's how ridiculous we're getting. It is very heartening to see mass protests in Germany. It is heartening to see mass protests in Belgium, in Austria, and in other countries, and, you know, to pull the same tactics that the left likes to use, uh, they love to claim about, you know, they love to talk about how, show me where, Chris Cuomo, who just got fired this weekend, which is hilarious, uh, show me where it says protests are supposed to be polite, well, it says so right there in the Constitution of the United States, by the way, protests should be polite, they should be civilized. But I can understand why people are so pissed off that they're attacking police, breaking things, and burning buildings. I don't condone it. It's not right. I just understand it. What they're doing is wrong. But their own governments are driving them to do it. So why are you surprised? The hard part here, I think, with respect to the moronic strain and everything associated with it, is the loss of faith in authority, and it is accelerating. This much has become very clear. This is a a trend that I've been noticing for years, and it's becoming worse every day. What do I mean by that? Well, remember what I said earlier about how the vaccines don't have any real effectiveness. The vaccines are incredibly dangerous. The RT-PCR tests don't detect what they're supposed to detect. They're not a useful diagnostic tool. They are an exploratory research tool. They are not a diagnostic tool. And anyone who knows about the RT-PCR test can tell you that, including the guy who created it. The late, great Dr. Kari Mullis, the man who created the technique, would tell you. RT-PCR doesn't tell you whether you're sick. It just tells you that you've got some fragments of something in your system. It's very accurate at detecting those fragments. It is completely useless for determining whether those fragments are dangerous. If you look at the medical communities, the mainstream medical community's reaction to ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine sulfate and zinc to the Math Plus or Zelenko protocols, which have proven effective, and we know they've proven effective repeatedly, doctors have independently tried those protocols and said yes, we see improvements in our patients because we've tried this regime. Why should we trust doctors anymore? And that's a really scary question. Why should we, as people, trust doctors when they can't be relied upon to give us objective advice? The image that we have of a doctor is of an impartial, objective observer who looks at us and uses his many years of training and experience and knowledge and skill to diagnose a disease and to propose a treatment. That is the standard image of a doctor. That is good. And I say this coming from a family that has doctors, had and has quite a few doctors in it. So it gives me no pleasure to say what I'm about to say. That image is garbage and has been garbage for years. Doctors are no more objective than lawyers or accountants or referees in a football match. They're actually considerably less so. Doctors are humans. They are not scientists in the objective impartial sense. They do not practice scientotty, they practice scientistry. The profession of science as opposed to the method of science. The only thing you need to know to determine whether a doctor is objective or not is to know whether he's attended a medical conference, you know, sponsored by a pharma company. All you have to do, that's, that's like the, the only criteria you need to check. If he has, you know that that doctor is almost certainly interested in being paid off by a Big Pharma for essentially what is a paid vacation. That's what those conferences are. Pfizer, or Johnson & Johnson, or Eli Lilly, or Merck, GlaxoSmithKline, or Black, Glax- what are they called these days? I think it's still GSK, GlaxoSmithKline. Um, they've been through so many bloody mergers, it's impossible to keep track of it. Welcome, Glaxo, Glaxo, welcome, SmithKline, Beecham, SmithKline's, you know, I mean, so many mergers that, you know, today GSK is what it is. Uh, Novartis, AstraZeneca, Moderna, all of these companies, they all pay for doctors to come to their conferences to look at their whiz-bang new drugs and take away samples of them. And you better believe that the doctors have shown a very, very good time while they're there. They are. They go to five-star resorts, you know, all expenses paid, really wonderful time, and they have a good time there. Don't ever think that a doctor is incapable of being corrupted, and what we've seen over the last two years is the utter corruption of medical science. The Korman Drosten paper in the Eurosurveillance magazine should never have been published. It was rife with inaccuracies, conflicts of interest, and problems. It went through with a single day of peer review. That's ridiculous. No one publishes a paper with a single day of peer review, until and unless you have uh, scientists who, by the way, made huge amounts of money, ungodly amounts of money, from the RT-PCR testing regimes that they imposed on everyone else, there were conflicts of interest throughout that paper, and yet nobody raised the objections. With respect to the vaccines, the vaccine companies that are pushing these things have no liability. They have offloaded their liabilities onto government, but with government consent. So there is no incentive for these companies to tell the truth. There is no incentive for them to be honest. If they had the incentive of extreme punishment sitting over them, they might actually tell the truth, but they're not telling us the truth. The doctors who keep saying you need to take these experimental, very dangerous drugs like remdesivir, which by the way, is highly toxic to the human body, highly toxic, it's an AIDS drug, uh, that has been shown repeatedly to be extremely toxic. They're pushing this incredibly expensive treatment as opposed to ivermectin, which is dirt cheap and is effective. How do we know it's effective? Because the COVID outbreak in India was really, really, really scary in April, May, June of this year. It was terrifying. The numbers coming out of, of India were eye watering. They were you know, catastrophic. A few months later, the numbers have essentially disappeared. Why? It turns out, and we know this now, that the Indian health authorities, they knew perfectly well that their, their system could not cope. It's not... India has a terrible healthcare system, especially if you're in the villages. It's just appalling. They don't have a real system at all. Certainly not that a, a Western country would call a useful system. So what they did was they dispatched kits out into the countryside, a, uh, an oxygen checker, a paracetamol, and some medicines. What did those medicines turn out to contain? Some of those medicines were ivermectin. And all of a sudden the COVID numbers started plummeting. Why? Moreover, you could check in certain states versus other states in India, which states had high rates of COVID and which states had low rates of COVID. Madhya Pradesh, which has about 260-some million people in it, so about two-thirds of the population of the United States, is a very poor state. It's a very crowded state, and it's a very big state, but it's still tiny compared to the, the, the total land mass of the U.S. Their cases started dropping very rapidly. Tamil Nadu, down in the south, their cases started going up. Why? Because their chief minister rejected the use of ironactin and enforced the use of vaccines. Furthermore, despite the media reports that we're seeing saying the majority of the people going to the hospital are unvaccinated, that's not true. If you actually look at the data coming out of Israel, one of the most highly vaccinated countries on Earth, that's simply not the case. If you look at this new moronic strain... And who it's infecting, it's infecting fully vaccinated people. If you look at Gibraltar, where they vaccinated 118% of their population, the people falling sick cannot, by definition, be unvaccinated. Cannot. And yet, they see COVID cases going up, not down. 118% of their population is vaccinated they're seeing covid cases go up how does that make sense it doesn't but that's what we're being told to believe this is corruption of the medical profession of the highest order it is the worst corruption we've seen pretty much ever and it's getting to the point now where not only and again i say this is somebody who is a direct descendant of a doctor not only should you not trust your doctor, I'm telling you this now, from my personal experience, and it gives me great pain to say this because the, the descendant in question, I was very, very close to him. Not only should you not trust your doctor, in general you should stay away from your doctor. Because he's not going to give you good advice. He's not going to give you life-saving advice. More likely than not, he's been corrupted by the nonsense that we see around us. It's not fun to say that, but here's the reality. We've gone so far backward in time in terms of our understanding of medicine by now. We're now at the point where, honestly, it seems like you'd be better off with a witch doctor sprinkling blood over a chicken's head to cure you of whatever, you know rickles that you've got, I don't know, lumbago, um, bursitis, whatever. I, I don't know. I mean, these are all old people diseases. But, you know, I've got a bad back. I've got a very bad lower back. I would rather go for an acupuncture treatment than for an actual, you know, Western medical doctor's advice because I have so little trust in their profession now. That's what's happened. That's what's been done to us by two years of lockdowns and stupidity. And it's going to get worse, unfortunately. And maybe that's long overdue because the reality is the medical profession is in dire need of a wake-up call, a reality check. Most of what we were taught about medicine has been shown to be untrue at some point or another. Uh, Painkillers, opioid painkillers for instance, a former Surgeon General of the United States said uh, in Chris Bell's documentary, uh, uh, hell, I can't believe I forgot the name, but it's about these, these, these specific painkillers, um, where he, he talks about, he actually shows the clip where the, the, the Surgeon General in question, the former Surgeon General, says, when I went to medical school, we had one class on painkillers, on pain medication. And in that class, we were told, if you give your patients these drugs, they will not get addicted. Boy, did that turn out to be wrong. Oh, wow, was that wrong. Oxycontin, oxycodone, um, uh, Vicodin, all of these really powerful opioid painkillers turn out to be highly addictive and very dangerous. The food pyramid. Supposedly done with lots of great medical research behind it, the USDA food pyramid turns out to be complete garbage. It turns out that having a diet very high in processed, refined carbohydrates, is really bad for you. It really wrecks your health. It turns out that the wisdom of our grandparents and great-grandparents to eat lots of animal protein, lots of fats, lots of butter, um, lots of healthy, natural food, is really good advice. This is... A complete inversion of what we expected our medical establishment to tell us. We expected them to be truthful with us, to be honest with us, and they haven't been. And we haven't held them to account. Maybe it's high time we did. Maybe it's high time we stopped listening to them, because it's plainly obvious that they're wrong on a very wide range of issues. But what are you going to do to society when you can't trust the very organizations that a free and open society needs in order to function? When you can't trust the news media, when you can't trust the medical establishment, you can't trust the educational establishment, you can't trust the political class, you can't trust the judicial class, you can't trust the police. What are you going to do? How do you have a society? The answer is you don't. You have anarchy. And not the good kind, you know, that you see in *V for Vendetta*, which is an interesting book. But not the not the kind that anarcho-capitalists and libertarians and libertunians love to talk about. The really, really bad kind, where you have literally no rules in place, no standards, no norms of civilized behavior, and no one enforcing those norms. That is a terrifying, terrible place to be. And that's where we're heading really fast because of the the stupidity, the fecklessness, the venality, the short-sightedness, the greed of people who should have known better, who took the ticket. That's what they've done. That's what the medical establishment has done. It took the ticket and decided that money was more important than saving lives, for real. That is why we have the situation we have today. A lot of people would be offended by me, like mortally offended, I mean I, I have people that I know would be mortally offended by me saying, well doctors aren't interested in the lives of their patients. Okay, prove it. Are you actually interested in going out there and pursuing what the science says? Are you actually interested in looking at the data? Are you actually interested in looking at studies that challenge your biases? Or are you just going to repeat the party line? Are you Are going to parrot what everyone else tells you? If you're going to tell me... That masks save lives, and I come back to you and tell you, okay, in nineteen during the nineteen eighteen Spanish flu outbreak, which wasn't Spanish, by the way, it was most likely Chinese. Again, thanks China. During that outbreak, there was a very well known experiment done, where essentially a, a bunch of volunteers were brought in, and they were made to sign this, like consent forms and everything. It was very transparently done. They were told to go up to into a sick ward full of patients with this, this virus, the, the patients would take off their cloth masks and the, the volunteers would stand over these people, breathe in the air that came out of the, the lungs of these patients, the fetid, infected air that came out of these patients and be exposed to their bodily fluids. Not one of those volunteers got sick. Please explain how masks protect when direct exposure to supposedly lethal virus has no effect. Please explain why, in the 1981 study, which is still up on the CDC's website today, wound treatment in operating theaters uh, involving masks in a control group versus no masks in another one, showed no difference in wound stabilization and healing. Please explain why there's a 2018 study out there, which shows that masks were basically ineffective at stopping influenza from spreading. Please explain these things. Please explain why the CDC's own study on mask effectiveness showed a 2% drop in fatalities, with a very wide confidence interval. Please explain these things. And if they refuse to explain and they just say, no, that's what it is, just believe it, and if you don't believe it, you're You want old people to die. Okay, you know what? I do want old people to die. Because I'm not interested in preserving the lives of old people versus preserving the lives of children. I am more interested in seeing children grow up to be happy and healthy and free than I am in preserving the lives of people who want to live just a little bit longer at the expense of future generations. I'm not okay with that. And I'm happy to say that. As unpopular as it makes me, as uh, horrendous as it sounds, that's the truth. That's the reality. Older generations have an obligation to cede the world to younger generations to give them the chance that they need to thrive and prosper. And what we're seeing is the exact inversion of that. That's ridiculous and it's immoral, it's blasphemous and it's disgusting. And we've had the entirety of our political class, our governing class, our medical establishment, the news media, everyone telling us to accept lies for truth, and I am sick of it. So in that respect, maybe this moronic strain is a good thing, because it's finally forcing people to wake up. I'm seeing it all around me, where I live. I'm seeing there's a, you know, mask mandates for indoor spaces, there are mask mandates on public transport. Nobody's obeying them. It's hysterical. I was, uh, you, know, you know, crowded public space yesterday. At least half the people there could not be asked to wear a mask. They couldn't care less, and it was glorious to behold. I was really happy to see that. When I took public transport, uh, the conductor, the bus driver, whatever, he wasn't wearing a mask. Nobody else on, on the bus was wearing a mask. Nobody cares. The fear is failing. The fear, the uncertainty, the doubt, it's not working. People see through the charade. They see through the stupidity. They see through the incompetence and the nonsense. And it's great. I want to leave off with one final thought about uh, the moronic strain. It's very unlikely to be Anywhere near as dangerous as anyone thinks. By all means, protect against it. Take sensible supplements. Vitamin C, quercetin. Uh, vitamin C, by the way, I mean, as a as an outside supplement, isn't particularly useful. Um, when you inject it directly into a patient, it turns out it's like a miracle drug. But it also has some very nasty side effects. And that's well known. It's been known for about 70 years. Um, but, you know... Be careful out there, wash your hands, use hand sanitizer, but don't be afraid, don't, don't wander around thinking, oh my god, the world's going to end. It's not going to end. We're going to be okay. We proved that with COVID, whatever nonsense that was. This new Omicron variant, which is almost certainly due to the vaccines that, we're, that are not effective but are forcing mutations of some kind. Uh, he is likely to be much less dangerous than we think. Don't be afraid. Get out there, celebrate Christmas, enjoy your time with your families, have fun. Don't live in fear. Be who God intended you to be, because that is why we are here. That is our purpose in life, and no one and nothing should stop us from living it. That's about all that I have time for. I've got uh, about a billion other things to do, including going and eating. But um, I did want to take some time to record a podcast because it has been a long while. And uh, I, I am aware that uh, I owe a couple of people follow-ups. So during the rest of this week, I will try to record um, domain query um, episodes to, to handle some of the, the questions that I've been receiving. So, uh, Rambly6 and uh, Kapios, I haven't forgotten. I'll be with you as soon as I can. Um, Many thanks to all who are listening. Many thanks to those who have subscribed. Many thanks to those who have registered on the site. And uh, please make sure you do so. Please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe if you've not done so already. And this has been Didactic Mind episode 80... Well, (laughs) 80-something. Uh, episode 89, I believe. Um, yeah, episode 89. Uh, this has been Didactic Mind episode 89, the Moronica Strain, and I am Didact, signing off.